0: Welcome to our second episode of Talking in Tacos, where we talk and eat tacos. I'm your host, Crystal Olivares. Our guest today is California Senator Maria Elena Durazo. Maria Elena was born the seventh of 11 children to migrant workers. It was at a young age that Maria Elena first experienced the exploitive conditions and challenges migrant laborers face. In spite of the obstacles of being born into a migrant working family, Maria Elena went on to earn her college degree from St. Mary's College. Which is where she became involved with the Chicano movement. Following her studies, she entered the labor movement as an organizer with what would later become Unite Here. While working, she also received her degree from the People College of Law. And in 2004, Maria Elena became the executive vice president of Unite Here International. And in 2008, she served as the vice chair to the DNC and the national co chair to the Obama presidential campaign. What I know her best for is between 2006 and 2014, she was the first woman to lead the Los Angeles County Federation of Labor as Secretary-Treasurer, and in 2018, Maria Elena was elected to serve public office as a Senator of the 24th District of California. So I did my best to get a lifetime of work into a short bio. Is there anything I missed? (laughs) Oh, of course there is.
1: (laughs) No, but not the sort of thing that people put into a bio. There's a lot of things missing just like (laughs) somebody tried to read your story right yeah it would take them days
0: okay so thank you for being here Um, the purpose of our I guess our podcast is just to have people just to introduce you to people in this authentic way where we're just kind of sitting down having a snack having a bite to eat Um, ask you a couple questions maybe some a little more about you personally about your taste what you like and then some about your work that you're doing and kind of our work moving forward Okay, that's okay with you. That's
1: great. Well, right. we're in the perfect setting to just yeah. have conversation.
0: Right, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful here. So we have some tacos. You please help yourself. Okay. Oh, let's put this right there. Take the top
1: off. By the way, when I left the house a little while ago, the Dodgers were winning six zero.
0: Oh, we need that.
1: I know. Oh, it's been hard. That was that was hard. The first day oh. was really hard. Less, yesterday, at least they. You put up a fight. But, <laughs> 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 Oh my goodness, this is a lot of food.
0: So, um, the first question is on kind of tacos, since we're here. So what is your favorite go-to taco?
1: Well, I, I have different favorites because, mm-hmm. you know, they make yeah. different tacos at different places. But I loved when I discovered Mexicali Taco
0: mm-hmm.
1: because it, was, it, it, did, it did feel more home-like. Like this is the sort of thing we all throw in together Mm -hmm. can you explain what a
0: mexicali taco is well it's
1: um i don't know if there's an explanation but you know you could throw in chorizo with cheese right Mm -hmm. or it's a a dried hard uh tortilla like for a tostada Mm -hmm. and but it doesn't have the beans and the cheese and the lettuce the way that a traditional tostada Mm -hmm. is so i um i i like that it was different and it was more like the sort of thing that you would
2: you know toss together
1: at home yeah you know not all the perfect uh Mm -hmm. the perfect elements. but i love guisado
2: Mm -hmm.
1: because it's got chicharron on one hand and it's got you know flor you know what is it flor the the flor the Mm flower you know on the other and it's got shrimp and so i love the variation so when i go there i know i can pick from 10 different yeah, kinds
0: correct, of tacos. Last and their little samplers. Yeah, our last podcast was with Lafonza Butler, who you know as uh-huh, well. And uh, we had saw visados. Uh-huh. Yeah, so vote have known would have next time. And,
1: and uh, I, when the Latino Theater, of course, before the pandemic when it was open, and mm-hmm. go right across the street, and it was very convenient. Go have, a, go have a few tacos and then go to the theater. It was a perfect, perfect place to go. So um, I think they are great Number one taco places, depending on the kind. My set was telling me about a, a great um, shrimp, like hard shell, but shrimp taco, off a truck over um, near Olympic and 8th, mm-hmm. where they sort of cross um so it's a truck out there that has seafood um but it has the i'm like i'm dying tacos. to go there for the, yeah. the hard shell shrimp, shrimp tacos yeah
0: <laughs> i grew up uh with the hard shell tacos as well like in the home you know yes, yes, bam, yes. you put a little bit of this over that anything whatever you got left over you know some chicken some beef some potatoes <laughs> even but yeah
1: well to me the tacos were always hard mm-hmm. uh, and the burritos were the soft that's how I so could tell the difference. I want a burrito, and you could throw anything in there. We even made—it wasn't quite a burrito, but we would even make—talk about Chicano, you know, what are we, Mexican or American? Is we put peanut butter, you know, in a flour tortilla.
2: <laughs> I've seen someone do that.
1: <laughs> you know, tuna, you mm-hmm. know, in a flour tortilla. It's like, hey, I don't want bread. I want tortilla, but I
0: like tuna. <laughs> great Um, so maybe you can tell me a little bit so you came from a family of migrant workers 11 kids 11 siblings Um, maybe you could tell me a little bit about your early life and how you were able to aspire to achieve a college education Mm -hmm. um, and political office
1: as the seventh child um, I didn't have the same responsibilities on myself that the older Mm -hmm. sisters and brothers had so they really, they had to um, work down because they had to help my parents raise the rest of us. Mm-hmm. They really, um, you know, some of them had to drop out of high school in order to get a job just to be able to get some more income for the family. And, you know, I wasn't one of those, the older ones that had that responsibility, I had to work but I didn't have to drop out of high school in order Mm -hmm. to help support the family and they would have loved to continue with high school and continue with college but the finances of the family didn't allow them to so uh, I'm barely uh, it kind of sounds silly but I'm grateful to them you know, they're the ones who really made all the sacrifice, so by the time it got to me my parents were able to do a little bit more with me Mm -hmm. um so i remember my dad sitting me down at the kitchen table you know and he couldn't help me with all my different subjects of of homework but he helped me with spanish Mm -hmm. thank god i learned more spanish than if he hadn't and i remember him teaching me the accents and Mm -hmm. uh, my dad loved to read um and uh you know, he wrote poetry. I never learned poetry, but you know, he liked to do that. So that was the environment. Once you don't have those kinds of pressures of just pure survival, um, and so as I grew, um, then you know, I had I had that um, I had that going for me. But but um, when the, the my younger, really young days, you know. Picking all those crops and or being the water girl, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be the one to go get the water or a traer el lonche, you know, because Mom um, had gotten up early in the morning to make the flour tortillas and make the burritos uh, whatever, you know, frijoles.
0: So you worked so, at a young age, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. How much did you earn a day? Oh gosh, I
1: don't know because Dad did all the did all negotiating, uh huh, um, and sometimes we. Uh, Had we got paid whatever the contractor said. You know, a bucket, this is how much you got, or a sack of cotton, this Mm -hmm. is how much you get. But other times, um, he got to negotiate us as a crew, Uh as his own crew. So he would say, this orchard, Will you know pay us this much, and then we'll just do it all, and you don't have to bring in other
2: people. Mm-hmm.
1: So there were different ways that Dad negotiated. Yeah. You know, whatever we would get paid, uh, but it it uh, it was uh, It's not like he made a whole lot from it, and
2: mm-hmm.
1: he he had this trait about him, this quality of being very honest, mm-hmm. and he assumed that everybody else was going to be honest with him. That, you know, he really was going to get, by working hard, because he made us work hard. He didn't let us slack off. Mm -hmm. No matter if we are paying hourly or as a group, as a crew, he wouldn't let us slack off. He says, you're going to work and you're going to put everything into it. And, of course, we would grumble Mm -hmm. because we, you know, we'd say, well, why should we? You know, they're Mm -hmm. not paying us what they should, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, it doesn't matter. Once you commit, you work hard, and that's that's that. Um, So... It was wrong that they would, uh, you know, exploit that. Mm-hmm. They would, you know, the growers would just take advantage of him being a good, hardworking man with his family and, um, and pay as little as they could. Pay as little as they could. So what the, the sort of routine was, uh, we'd work hard, 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 leave school a little bit early, you know, earlier, mm-hmm. uh, go to school. Go back a little bit later um, and then just work really, really hard. So dad, you know, I never knew the finances, Mm -hmm. so it would help him to stretch it because when we actually went to school, he would go out and look for work and whatever the crop was in the winter. And then we would um, figure it out however we could (laughs) get through the winter and then start back up again.
0: Wow. Wow. Amazing, yeah,
1: yeah. But our complete. family, our family were our friends.
0: Yeah, my family's my friend too. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we always, we're, we're always tell each other. We're best friends. I yeah. love my family. They, yeah. they really are.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I say that because a lot of people say, "Well, when I was growing up, this was my childhood friend," and that like my sisters, my
0: mm-hmm. brothers were childhood. Yeah, you friends. had plenty of friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so on that did you have any mentors or mentors or role models growing up hmm. well
1: um i you know i gave some examples of dad you know, of, of really
2: mm-hmm.
1: um trying his best to raise his family um I, I really liked mom's way of, she was a feisty. She
2: mm-hmm. was the
1: one that was really feisty. Mm-hmm. She would sort of harass him, like, I don't think that's <laughs> enough, you should be getting more, you know, blah, blah. Whatever the issue was, she was the one behind him yeah. sort of needling him and feisty. So there was, that between the two of them, I, I think was, was the best example that anybody could set. And they were very, very, uh, deep in their faith, in the Catholic mm-hmm. faith. They were, but they practiced it. You know? They didn't just go to church and preach about it. They really practiced it. Like, you know, after work on Saturdays or after church on Sundays, they'd go uh, visit, you know, the senior citizen home or they would go out with the priest to the camps. Um, you know, wow. um, and and visit you know family. So, they, uh, you know, as as they got older, they they especially were devoted to the church. But they were not, they were not just preaching. They really practiced it. You know, Dad would invite you know total strangers that he thought needed a bite to eat and invite them over to the house and treat them like they were one other family. Come to the table, cook you something to eat.
0: Um, he was He had lots of friends, like was he a very personable person?
1: You know he was a, he was a quiet person, but he he could tell when there was hardworking, especially men, single men that needed a, a handout.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: a neighbor needed a handout, needed something. He was always offering, always offering to do something. So he didn't have like a super bubbly friendly, mm-hmm. but he was just there. As a human being to another another human being, so uh, you know I think those are all parts of being role models. Yeah. You know, not not necessarily the famous names,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: who the 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 idea of working really hard.
0: They shaped your character.
1: Yeah, it really. It really does. It does have an impact. Now, there was some things that they did that were really upsetting, like they were very strict with the girls in the family. <laughs> you know, yeah. can't go out, didn't weren't allowed to have boyfriends. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was really infuriating.
0: But, but in your dad's defense he could say, Look what you're doing now. <laughs> right. Look what you're doing now. I guess I was right. <laughs> well but, yeah.
1: As usual, you know, brothers and sisters get together. You go, remember that time when blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It always comes up. Remember that time Dad wouldn't let us, you know, go out, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So, but I think for the most part we really understood he was he was trying to protect, you know, his daughters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he kind of felt that um, he would give us a, try to give us a, a shot. And an interesting thing about him was even though he certainly had some machismo traits, mm-hmm. you know, to him. he, Yeah, I remember just him telling me, look, I want you to go to school. You should never depend on a guy, never depend on a man to, you know, get you what you need. And it's like, that was really contradictory some, somewhat mm-hmm. to, you know, certain things at that time, but also certain ways that he was at home. And uh, I'm really grateful to that because that was a big, that's a big part of who I am mm-hmm. as a woman.
0: We kind of talked a little bit in the intro. I talked about how you came in from labor. Like a lot of your kind of career was done through the labor movement. Um, so for people who aren't familiar what a labor union is, what a labor movement is, in more like a natural way can you you know share you know what it means to be what a labor union means to you
1: Mm -hmm. well i'm really glad that my first exposure to a union not as a member unfortunately but to a union was a united farm workers union and the united farm workers union was about a combined integrated movement
2: mm-hmm.
1: with a whole lot of other issues. Not only the moment you clock in to do your work and then clock out to leave. But it was really about what else is going on in your life that the, an organization should care about, that a union should care about.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: if you remember, the United Farm Workers Union raised the issue of environmental justice way back. Way back then,
2: mm-hmm. you know, we
1: didn't create it. United Farm Workers and activists and farm workers themselves said, you know, we care about uh, pesticides not being on the food. We care about it because it's unsafe for us. Mm-hmm. But it's also unsafe for the consumer. I mean, there were a lot of things, you know, the issues of, you know, women, uh, the role of women. I mean, Dolores Huerta set the example being co-founder of the union. How many unions were co-founded or had women in their leadership? So it is, to me, to be exposed to a union, they're a bona fide union that, had the, that integrated itself with these mm-hmm. other issues, raised the issues of healthcare you know how come we don't have the same health care? raise the issues of how come how come the kids of migrant farm workers don't have the same education that you know Beverly Hills does so it was more of an integrated sort of general civil rights um, and you know it was it was at a time when it triggered other you know in the cities and the urban areas also you know the battles that we were having about education so To me, that was the best thing, and my late husband, Miguel, came out of the same kind of vision of what a union is. So when we were able to go into the um, Hotel and Restaurant Workers Union and fight our way into that union and turn it into something that we thought it should be, it really was modeled in a big way on the United Farm Workers Union. And that's a union that cares about the whole self. Now, it's driven Mm -hmm. by how are you treated? How are you paid? Do you get the benefits that you deserve? You know, do you get the protections that you deserve? Mm -hmm. It's based on real unionism and how workers use their collective power to battle with capital. It Mm -hmm. is. It's capital on one and labor on the other. Except for public sector. Mm-hmm. But in the private sector, that's what it's all about. It is, you know, real, real raw fight backs. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have unity amongst the workers to be able to withstand the um, the threats and the actual um, ways in which they uh, put fear into workers, if you don't have that collective body, you'll never withstand that. And so, to me, it was about power mm-hmm. to have being a union. To me, it was about the unity.
0: Who does it give power to?
1: Well, hopefully, it's a union that gives power to the rank and file. You know, it should it should be the workers themselves. And that was a lot of the struggles that we had in, in my union when mm-hmm. we were looking to restructure it. Because... Um, as in other organizations, you know. I ran for office, I ran for president of my union, and there were members who said, well, what are you gonna do for us? Mm -hmm. We pay the dues, so what are you gonna do for us? And I would really engage in some good, hard discussion and say, well, I'm gonna be at your side and together we're going to do this and that, and we're going to fight for a better contract. And, well, wait a minute. Well, what am I paying dues for if you're asking me to do this? And I said, because the moment that I leave this kitchen or the moment that I me- leave this hotel, do you want the boss to repre- uh, respect me or do you want him to respect you? Because I'm not going to be here 24-7. And if you don't have the power, you know, to withstand that, and to make sure he or she is going to respect you when I'm not around, mm-hmm. then you're, you're not going to gain anything. You're going to keep calling me 24-7? No. Yeah. So empowerment means that you are respected by the boss. That he sees you and says, uh-oh, I better fix this problem. Uh-oh, I'm giving them too many rooms. Those housekeepers are going to do a delegation on me you know, come through my door, and they're not gonna leave, they're gonna sit in my office until I fix the problem. Uh-oh. Right? It, for- it forces accountability. That's right, that's exactly right. So the accountability through collective action, that's what it is, it's collective bargaining.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Collective bargaining to get what you know you deserve.
2: Thank that's you.
1: what a union should be,
0: I yeah. think. Um, what do you think is the most common misconception about labor unions
1: the misconceptions of unions are sort of the example that i gave earlier that it's a pay for a service you Mm -hmm. you pay your monthly dues and the union
2: gives you higher wages and benefits
1: you know deals with the boss and you don't have to do it Mm I mean it's probably true of some unions, there's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. Not every union looks to empower the rank and file. Um, So I I understand why there's a misconception. We don't talk to all the rank and file the way that we should. Mm -hmm. Um, So some unions are a lot better about it, others not so great. But I think that's a, a misconception of what a union does. Mm -hmm. I think the other is um, that, you know, they're they're the ones who deal with the boss and you don't have to deal with the boss. That's Mm -hmm. just, I don't know if it's a misconception or if it's just the way some unions do it. Mm -hmm. But as a labor movement, the reason a labor movement grew, you know, was born and existed and grew was for... You know, the workers to have a real say in the decisions that were being made in that workplace Mm -hmm. and that you wouldn't be taken advantage of, your labor wouldn't Mm -hmm. be taken advantage of, and that you would contribute, that you're smart, you're a professional. I don't care what work job you have, whether you're a janitor, a hotel housekeeper, a teacher or a nurse, electrician, you're an expert at what you do. You want to be treated as an expert, as a professional. In in the work that you do, mm-hmm. um, and you know, a lot of times employers wouldn't do that.
0: So, and in, in the same way, it creates accountability for the employer. Um, I've had people say, "Well, doesn't it create less accountability for workers because now they're protected from their union and they can do whatever they want with no accountability?" So, what do what you kind of, what are your thoughts on that? You know, first
1: of all. It doesn't give a, a pass to the workers I, I they have uh, the employer the boss has a responsibility to explain why somebody's gonna get suspended or why somebody's gonna get disciplined or fired but that's what's wrong with that why mm-hmm. shouldn't it be clear the reason why you're getting disciplined or fired that's a good thing They mm-hmm. have to you know because otherwise the Uh, Instead of that what they would do is just fire you because they don't like you one day
0: or there's something you know because he needs a job
1: Yeah, something so um, I think there should be accountability. That's really different from the union depend uh, Defends you no matter what Mm -hmm. like you can't get fired no matter what that's not true Um, but I think that the unfortunately because there are so the percentage of workers in this country Um, that our union is smaller, right? We're probably 10, 15% of the population of workers are unionized. Mm -hmm. If you're not union and you see the employer having a hard time firing you because he has to prove a case (laughs) against you, you see that and you go, oh my goodness, you know? They're used to the the extreme. Mm -hmm. So I, I think... Uh, it's it's unfortunately that that's the comparison. It's kind of like the comparison with having a, a pension plan,
2: mm-hmm. a
1: real pension plan. If you don't have a real pension plan, then you're kind of like, well, why do they have to have, why do they get a real pension plan? If I can't have one, why should they? And, and so, you know, we have to flip that picture. And the way to flip that picture is for workers, like many are doing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the the um uh, gig economy workers right mm-hmm. are saying we you know we want better um and there's a real struggle in the gig economy with these very very powerful and very wealthy corporations in there so yeah. you know the labor movement evolves the kinds of workers right the kinds of mm-hmm. sectors and industries you don't have the big giant Auto plants and steel plants and rubber plants that we used to have in in Los Angeles County. Do you,
0: do you think like Uber, Lyft, these kind of services, do you think that those are the next sector of workers that are going to you know, be part of this labor movement, labor unions? Because taxi drivers were all unionized before, right?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yep. So it kind of seems to make sense that maybe this is the next generation of somehow unionizing what was before thought to be Ununionizable Mm -hmm. because they don't work at a specific location, right? It's actually a group of people rather than uh, people that work for this store at this place. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, before Cesar and Dolores, there were those who said that farm workers were unorganizable. And it is difficult Mm -hmm. because they have the tiers, right? The grower, then the contratistas, and The contratistas are broken up. So I think there's always an effort by industries to figure out how to get around Mm -hmm. that workforce. Um, And I think you're absolutely right. This is the new economy. There's no reason just because it's a new economy why the men and women who do the work can't have the ability to join Mm -hmm. together uh, I mean, home care workers,
2: mm-hmm.
1: they're, you know, one per household. I mean, talk about how many workplaces are those, right? Hundreds yeah. of thousands uh, of, of households are the workplace. But a system was created to allow them to collectively negotiate with the government as to what they get paid. Mm-hmm. Child care providers, who would think, right? That's a small business. Well, child care providers essentially you know it's it functions mm-hmm. as a small business but they have the right now to collectively come together and say to the government how much are you gonna help subsidize because these these families can't pay at all so there's a lot of ways that we can develop and you know fit the times fit the economy um, you know it was in the 18th century when the only jobs ever anybody thought would be unionized were the um, highly skilled uh crafts people you know Mm -hmm. who built or the tile right Mm -hmm. the glass and tile you know crafts people but you know that started changing it started becoming a little bit bigger Mm -hmm. right workplace where you did tile not just one for one but you actually had 10 or 15 people doing the tile mining Mm -hmm. you know started
0: segue a little bit into that so um, I think what's really fascinating about your work that you've done is that you brought in a sector of workers that previously weren't uh, given any attention, any thought. Um, and I think that created like a snowball effect that's still, you know, moving today, um, creating real changes. So uh, maybe you can tell me a little bit about like how you kind of came up with it and what is, it is exactly you kind of came up with.
1: As far as the work in the, yes, the labor movement,
0: work like in the labor movement, like the type of workers you were reaching out to.
1: Yeah, well, my very first, um, uh, you know, or- organizing um, industry was the garment workers, and garment workers to this day are still the victims of three or four different layers of business bureaucracy that's meant to hide. Who's really responsible for those workers? Mm-hmm. And so you have now the name brands, the signature, you know, they, whoever it is, uh, Ross, Dress, or Nordstroms, and they put their brand on it, and they contract out to many layers of of smaller companies, and they know that they're paying them
2: mm-hmm.
1: so little that there's no way that those workers are going to get paid minimum wage. They know what they're giving to the contractor, and the contractor getting some portion of it is going to leave too little to pay the workers. To this day, to think that garment workers are getting, can get an average of 5 to $6 an hour is outrageous. We're not a third world country, right? This is the United States of America, so much wealth. And that's what's happening in the garment industry. And we almost got a bill passed uh, mm-hmm. to change the rules there so that they would get paid better but it's it's understanding those industries and so you give the workers the workers would have the research into mm-hmm. the corporation you're fighting so you don't take on this you know conglomerate world conglomerate you know with Dirty workers. I mean, you just can't do that Mm -hmm. in this day and age. So what we did was we developed a system of comprehensive campaigns. You understand who you're up against. You get the research. You know where to hit them, where it's going to hurt, where it's not. Um, And then the workers have to be bold enough and courageous enough to do actions. Mm -hmm. They have to be able to do that if they don't you can't win against these uh big companies and and employers and then you have to join together and get make it a whole community Mm -hmm. uh, battle it's not just a battle for those 50 workers it's a battle for the whole community just like the opposite i remember at lax we had a big um, battle because um they had brought in McDonald's and Burger King, this is several many years ago. and they fired all the workers. The workers were union. they, had, they were paying getting paid several dollars more an hour. They had mm-hmm. health insurance, they had pensions. And uh, we said, what the, what the hell's going on here? So we had to battle with the airport. We had to battle with the companies and saying, you just can't fire hundreds of workers and replace them with people making minimum wage. But we Mm -hmm. had to make a big deal about it. So we calculated that of all those hundreds of workers who lost their jobs when McDonald's got in there, what it meant, how it translated into the community, an impact on the community. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: times how much less in salary the new workers were making, no health insurance, so that had to be taken Mm -hmm. up somewhere and um, it came up to millions millions of dollars that by those workers losing the union losing the union contract they'd go to their communities and they were taking home millions of dollars less Mm -hmm. so the small businesses suffered their families suffered they had to get two jobs instead of one job I mean, everything sort of begins, you could see it, it begin to break down. Mm -hmm. Um, So it has to be a community involvement. I remember meeting with a group of clergymen, clergy uh, folks, and they said, well, we have noticed that there are more people coming into our pantry for food. And we have noticed that it's families come into our pantry for food. So, you know, it has a, a, a ripple effect. And that's why if you try to do battle by yourself you have mm-hmm. no chance of winning against these big big companies uh and that's what's happening right now you mentioned gig you mentioned you know there's uber and lyft and you know they don't want to allow those employees to organize they don't want to allow employees to be even employees um so we're we gotta battle that you know amazon uh-huh. Uh, Puts treats their employees like robots. They have these, you know, ear sets on them and so you you get timed You know to go from here to there to get this package you get timed and you don't you're not given time to go to the bathroom You're not given you know these this this is craziness, but if you don't have a collective response to it it'll get worse
0: um, so In your time as president of the LA Federation of Labor, um, are there any specific victories or uh, bills passed or anything in particular that really stands out to you or that was really particularly meaningful to you?
1: Yes, um, actually there were several. Um, There were two if I could just quickly mention. One of them was called the construction careers um, policy.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And basically, it um, it created the mechanism by which uh, unionized construction jobs would be expanded to include uh, local, locally hired individuals, which basically meant communities of color um, and um, you know women would be recruited would be given the opportunity to join an apprenticeship program and have a career in the construction industry Um, electricians make very good money well established right Um, plumbers and pipe trades the same thing I mean you could raise a family in a very comfortable setting not millionaires but a comfortable setting so it was the first time in the whole country anybody had passed that kind of a policy with the city of Los Angeles. What was that
0: policy? What did it do?
1: It it basically uh, said that the work that uh, would be unionized, these projects that the city, you know, mm-hmm. um, um, like public Works projects. So I mean,
0: all of them would be under the union They umbrella? would be
1: union, a certain threshold, like over a million dollars yeah. or some threshold. And that You know, part of that deal was that the opening up of those apprenticeship slots would go to uh, local communities, Mm -hmm. neighborhoods, communities of color. Yes. Yes. So that was a really good... um, And the other one was called Zero Waste. And basically, uh, the um, multifamily and commercial part of the city, uh, there was no... Recycling program. So if you live in an apartment building, all the trash was just going to a landfill. Mm -hmm. It wasn't being sorted out and whatever could be recycled. So we have less of a landfill, right, and be able to uh, recycle more. So we came up with a program. One, and part of that program, what was so important is um, most of the sorters are. Uh, Mujeres Latinas, immigrant women. Um, And so we wanted to improve their health and safety conditions as they sorted trash, Mm -hmm. right? So that health and safety provisions were provided for in this policy. And at the same time, we weren't gonna have like 15 trucks going up and down the same street to pick up trash. We would come into agreements with these companies, which companies were gonna do which parts of the city. and, and, uh, And it basically, Moved the whole recycling
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: within the commercial industry, which had not been done, required, and the multifamily industry. So it was very much an environmental issue. Uh, it was an incredible coalition.
0: Mm-hmm. Everything,
1: uh, you know everybody uh, in the environmental movement, the mainstream white environmental movement to people of color. Uh, it, it really was a very successful thing. So those were two policies we got passed when I was at the Federation of Labor.
0: Excellent. Thank you for sharing. Uh, hmm. So in the 1990s and 2000s, you led some grassroots efforts to organize and empower immigrant workers, a sector that's often overlooked Um, what is it specifically that you did that wasn't done before?
1: Well, the, the combination, the combination of, well, we stood back and say what is going on in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. right? There's really poor immigrant workers in these industries that can afford to pay a lot more. They need a union one. Two, the labor movement was greatly lacking because the unions had not been organizing those industries where there were a lot of Latino and low-wage workers. And three, the the uh, civic engagement and voting block was diminished by not incorporating Latino immigrants into you know, civic engagement into Mm -hmm. voting. So what we did was we said, we can deal with all three of those. We, by going out and organizing Latino low wage immigrant Mm -hmm. workers, they come into the labor movement. Mm -hmm. When they're in the labor movement, they participate in the political programs and they make decisions. Which candidate should we support and which candidates should we not support? Who is standing up with us on the picket line? Who's going on the picket line with us? Who is, who is voting the right way when it comes to our issues as well? And so then, you know, we contributed and we complemented what had become uh, a, a very uh, important alliance, which was between black workers and white workers and, their, and, and those workers, but it had not included... Latino workers, because Latino workers weren't unionized. So by unionizing, not only come into the fold of the richness of a big, broader labor movement and the solidarity that you could get from that, but we're also we're now acting in the in the interest of political decisions that are being made and who was, who was being elected. So we combined the two to give immigrants and Latinos a voice that they had never had before, both as far as their workplace, their wages, their benefits, but also with regards to the political scene. And part of that, they fed each other. So for example, we negotiated into our contracts language that kept out immigration as much as was,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, in 80% of the, the, the time, We kept them from being able to go into our workplaces because we negotiated with the boss things that they had control. They had control over most of the time if immigration could go into that place or not. They would let them. So we negotiated things that were first time ever. We negotiated things even for African-Americans who were no longer being hired in the hotel industry, saying that they had to be recruited and hired as well. So we, we did things with
2: mm-hmm. the power
1: of the union that had never been done before. We negotiated um, uh, illegal services, which allowed um, ho- you know, housekeepers and cooks and dishwashers to... Uh, um, you know, get their citizenship or get their papers, get their families, you know, Mm -hmm. documentation. We negotiate all that with employers paying the bill.
0: What I thought was really interesting about the work that from from what I've read and um, learned over the years is, are looking at individuals as more than a worker. You're looking at them as people. You're looking at their lives. You're looking at their homes. You're looking at their children, mm-hmm. um, and instead of trying to expect them to come meet you where you're at, you went to meet them where they're at. And I, th- I think that was a game changer. And um, I think it's changed a lot of people's lives to you know empower them over the years. Whether it's you know you're a hotel worker, you know benefiting from making five dollars more now than someone else who doesn't have a union job Mm -hmm. um so i think that's i think that particular is really Mm -hmm. um powerful when Mm -hmm. i see that
1: you know the other thing is it made it intergenerational because after a few years of doing this the babies of the hotel housekeepers or the kids of the cooks Mm -hmm. grew up in the labor in this environment and neither themselves became union organizers. We have many mm-hmm. union organizers, uh, sons and daughters of uh, of those workers. Um, they became activists, you know, in the student movement. It was it's really pretty
0: exciting to exciting see exciting
1: to see. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you've seen uh you've seen a couple where they were just babies and now they're, you know, grown women that are creating real impact in their communities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. It's really cool.
0: Um, so maybe you can tell me what was it like being one of the f- the first woman elected to the, be the president of the LA Fed and like one of the first presidents or secretary treasurer, which is essentially kind of like the president mm-hmm. um, of a labor union of that scale, which is maybe one of the largest in the country.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, the the good thing about it is. I wanted to be like the best organizer I could be um, because, you know, what drove me was how people were treated. Mm-hmm. And so, as I learned to become a better and better organizer, there were people coming along with me. And it was pretty exciting. Just to give you an example, the vice mayor of Phoenix, Arizona.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Was a hotel housekeeper here at the Century Plaza in Los Angeles when I was president of the local. And we sort of grew up together, you know. We recruited her to be a union shop steward. Mm -hmm. And then she grew from that and she became an organizer. She moved um, to Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years ago she ran for office and now she's vice mayor.
0: It seems Um, like there's some sort of, like, natural transition, or at least something you've created, a natural transition from labor to politics. Like, they they so seamlessly kind of intertwine now.
1: Yeah, well, at least it opens the door if you want to do that, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And that's what's so great about it. I've seen a
0: lot of people make that shift where they uh go from labor to politics or they go Uh from politics into labor.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, Congressman Jimmy Gomez came out of the, the mm-hmm. labor movement. Yes, that, that's, I think the most important thing is like, no matter what particular title you end up getting or position, that you are there to really represent people who work hard every day mm-hmm. and who, for the most part, get treated badly. And you're there to be by their side. See, one of the things that we tried to teach in our union was that we're not coddle. we don't coddle people. Mm-hmm. They're not to be babied, you know? I, I empower you, I help for you to get empowered if I teach you how to be your person. If I teach you to really know the, the inside, the power that you have, the courage that mm-hmm. you have inside of you, to help you find that and use it. That's what's, that's, now that's real power, that's really good. So that's what I always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I was so excited when, because I started out as an an immigration, immigrant activist. When I started getting paid by the union to do this full time, it was like my dream come true. I couldn't believe it. I was getting paid. I usually had to do that after work, after another job. Mm -hmm. Um, So what position or title I ended up getting was for the purposes of doing more of the same Mm -hmm. doing more for people to be able to buy a home doing more with women to be able to just have one job instead of having to work five days at a hotel and then clean somebody's home on saturdays and sundays and never Mm -hmm. see their kids doing more of that Mm -hmm. so then as president, I could do that more. I became an international vice president of our union. I could do that more. And when I went to the LA Federation of Labor after my husband passed, um, I thought I could do more because then it would be the joint power of firefighters and mm-hmm. electricians and teachers and you know city workers. It's like, wow. Now you're, really, now you're really talking and join together with them to do the things that we could do. We, one of the first things we did when I went to the LA Federation was something called Hollywood to the Docks. Mm-hmm. And that was a 29 mile walk. Uh, we did it over three days. We stretched it out. Mm-hmm. And, and that was because that particular year in 2008, I think it was in 2008, um the contracts the collective bargaining agreements of various industries were going to expire and uh contracts union contracts covering something like three or four hundred thousand workers were going to be on on and so um we wanted to do something to show that um if you take them on you take us all on mm-hmm. you take these on you take us all on and it worked really, it worked really great. I think there were, no doubt, there were some, particularly guys, who were skeptical. You know, there would always been a, a guy running um, the Federation. And they were skeptical. Like somehow, mm-hmm. how could this woman who represents hotel housekeepers, how is she going to be able to represent firefighters or...
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: plumbers or, you know, other, other, jo- other careers. And uh, I said, well, I know how to fight. Mm-hmm. I know how to fight, that's guaranteed. So if you're in a battle or if you're in, you mm-hmm. need others to be with you at your side, I'm the one. I said, my, my credentials are there. I've been arrested numerous, numerous times. <laughs> and uh, and I said, so I believe in working people, and I know how to fight for working people.
0: Okay. So f- your most recent fight was uh, in 2017, was it you decided to run for the California Senate?
2: Yeah.
0: Um, which you did win, and you mm-hmm. are now our senator of mm-hmm. You know yes. in california right here you're just in my district my area um so maybe you can tell me a little bit about what inspired that decision um at this point in your life to to serve public office
1: well i think like a lot of especially women um Anytime anybody ever suggested that I run for office, I immediately, within two seconds, dismissed them as being crazy. I would never do that. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I felt that my role was different in the movement. And so um, so I just never considered it, seriously considered it. But when this um, idea came up, Trump had just gotten elected. And we all knew who he is. We all knew back then when he ran the first time, before he got elected, we knew what a scumbag he is. We knew what a liar he, he, he is. Um, we knew what an egomaniac he is. Um, Keep him coming. You know, just <laughs> a racist, a yeah. hater of, of Mexicans and Latinos. Um, no... No kinds of morals, nothing. Yeah. So it was quite shocking, you know, obviously to me, as it was to the rest of the country and the world, that he could be elected as our leader, as our president. So that got me to thinking in a way that I had never considered running for office. Mm-hmm. And second is I knew I was part of something really big and important that it happened in Los Angeles and California. To change California from a Pete Wilson Prop 187 era, Prop mm-hmm. 2279 public education, Prop 13 that would deny us investment in our schools and services, all those things. Um, we changed it. We changed it because of the coalitions we created. We changed it because immigrants were invited into the movement um, and became fighters in our movement. Um, We changed it. I knew it, I knew Mm -hmm. that I was part of this and it was (laughs) really great. And to think that he could, as president, he could potentially change California back to those terrible days and I didn't want that to happen. And I felt that my voice now could be better served in the political arena. And the third reason is that in in our union, we had uh, trained and uh, guided and counseled so many people to become leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it wasn't like in the beginning days where there was just a few of us. There were, there were lots of leaders, so I felt certainly there's no missing me. And I could join a different part of the of, of the movement and raise mm-hmm. these same voices. Um, so that together really made me think, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna jump into something I just never imagined. And so
0: <laughs> and when you left, did you know or have an idea that Rusty was gonna be the person to kind of succeed you in at the LA Fed?
1: Well, yes, I supported him Mm -hmm. and um, uh, I mean, we didn't plan it, you know, this was maybe a few months Mm -hmm. uh, at the most in terms of what could we do and if I left, who would do it, who was interested and all that. Um, And luckily it came at a time when there was no incumbent so it's not like i had to have a battle <laughs> with kevin de leon you know mm-hmm. or something but he represented the area uh so so that was a good thing but um you know when rusty stepped up to say he wanted to um the opportunity to run the organization i said i'll back you up you got to go do the work
2: yeah
1: you know got to go do the work of convincing. The leaders of all these unions that you can pull it off mm-hmm. well of course he'd been there eight or nine years with me and um, everybody knew him as mm-hmm. far as hard worker and visionary
0: yeah, I think he did a great job in his time there as well um, yeah. following your footsteps yeah yeah absolutely, well. absolutely. and now their new president Ron Herrera yes um, have you known Ron for a while
1: yes because uh, the zero waste campaign
0: yeah. it
1: included the Teamsters And that's when I had
0: first worked with him. Okay. So you've known him for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, And so now that you're a senator, um, what do you hope to accomplish in your time in the Senate?
1: What I hope to accomplish is um, I think it's similar to what we were talking about a little while ago is um, what's what are the misconceptions of the labor movement? and to think of the labor movement in a, in a different way. So the, hopefully, the way I look at the labor movement, which is a lot of really hardworking men and women
2: mm-hmm.
1: who just want a good shot you know, in life to live and have all the things that, that they need and, and deserve. So I want, um, I want to give voice to those, to those uh, men and women. And just to give an example, in my first year in our uh, one of our budget subcommittees, um, I came across, because they went to Sacramento, was these garment workers, all these women came up to testify, and they went to testify because there's a restitution fund for garment workers that the state had, and their claims for um, wage theft had not been paid, so they came to testify to say can you please pay us our claims they've been adjudicated we we want our cases and they weren't like in the millions and i mean a total it was millions of dollars but individually it was maybe a few thousand dollars and they had gone for years without getting paid so i thought what are you talking about i welcomed them i treated them like royalty in Mm -hmm. that hearing room because they are they, they are so worthy of the attention of getting their wages paid.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
1: want them to feel that this was a capital that belonged to them. Um, so it's a small example, and we eventually took care of it. We, you know, we replenished the restitution fund, and so they got paid, and then they invited me to a, a pachanga. And, <laughs> and it was great. I mean, they, all yeah. they did was get paid
2: for the work work that they they did.
1: Exactly, for so many. So, you know, there's so many ways that I I could see, I could see myself. um, And then there's something that I'm working on that I've never, not completely done in my life. And that is, how do we address climate change Mm -hmm. in a serious way, but in a way that also gives hope to the future of our young people today? And what i mean by that is how do young people see climate change as a way to support themselves Mm -hmm. are there careers in the climate change are are there ways that they could see it not just as a
0: separate thing that's separate than them but something that could be part of their lives that's right yeah now and
1: and and more than than we're going to save the planet But I'm actually going to be able to survive and not have to get, Mm -hmm. you know, $13, $14 an hour at Burger King, if I'm Mm -hmm. lucky. Is that my future? Like is the only way I could, you know, uh, care about climate change is I have to get a minimum wage job. So we're, you know, as a group of us are starting to work together more closely about climate change the disasters it's causing in our communities and after community, but also see our young generation as the leaders and the experts and the professionals uh, on how to deal with climate change.
0: And as we deal with like climate change in California, like we've seen record level fires, wildfires break out across California. Um, What has to change in California to address these? Like, what, what, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to, you know, are we just going to keep going through the same cycle? Or what, what can we do and what are we doing?
1: Well, we certainly have to move towards, right, the uh, clean energy. We have to move in, in that direction. I think we have to be much more um, disciplined about the, you know, the areas that we live in um and how to live in those areas and in, in a way that's not going to be part of for example mm-hmm. you know the fires i mean a lot of a lot of this is man woman made um that's that we're going through um and we have to upgrade our infrastructure in such a way that's clean but it's modernized we don't necessarily have the most modern mm-hmm. uh, infrastructure so um and we have to find new ways of addressing, um, you know, the the fires that's really going to solve them, and not just not just fire suppression once mm-hmm. they get out, but the prevention yeah. of the fires. Uh, and you know, and that's a whole area of science and technology that we've not been
0: mm-hmm. paying
1: attention to.
0: Is that something that's kind of been more? focused on recently now the fires have become it seems like every year it's been growing and growing
1: Oh, i don't even think even now it's getting this, the attention <laughs> i yeah. mean it's getting the attention as far as responding
0: mm-hmm. reacting yeah very reactive
1: very very reactive and we have yeah. to help all those families you know mm-hmm. as you know for their health and safety but mm-hmm. also you know how to how to get them homes to you know to get back in and try to but it's it's having a devastate a really really terrible impact on our economy mm-hmm. because those small cities small towns those counties um, you know the devastation it's also economic as well as health and, and safety wise
0: so as COVID-19 has changed all of our lives in so many ways how has California stepped up in order to support our communities
1: mm. well um you know the state. Um, the state had to try and step in in such a way that we knew we were experimenting. Um, nobody had ever done this before. Nobody had ever been through this before, and we were having to deal with it in a fast way,
2: mm-hmm.
1: without the experience of it, and and worse even without any national leadership uh, over it. So the combination of all those things, of course, everybody's running around. What do we do? What do we do? And the governor, you know, made some very bold decisions about closing down, um, and we all made the decision of also closing down the Capitol and, you know, a lot of government, you know, offices. So that was um, that was a very, you know, strange environment, uh, you know, to be in. It was a really, really difficult watching out for your lives. What's going to cause you know more lives to be lost Uh, Mm -hmm. what could we do so i think the there was the needed bold swift decisions um some of them turned out to be the right things to do and some of them turned out to be maybe we shouldn't have done them but who would have known who could have known um It it and you know many of us have have said this over and over again. It certainly exposed, um, in a very very dramatic clear way, the racism in our institutions, um, our communities of color being more severely impacted. Uh, we are essential workers, Latinos, and uh, are essential workers, but um you we can't stay home and do the essential work right essential the essential work that latinos do has mm-hmm. to be done in the fields
2: mm-hmm. has to
1: be done in childcare has to be done in and other jobs that you just you can't stay home you you know so i i, um, I you can't do from from a from your office or a, a room in your in your house so uh that was a really um That's been very disheartening as far as what it's done to the Latino community, for me personally, and we've had some real, real battles over it as far as giving sufficient resources. Um, It's not equality when you give the same amount to a community, when there's certain communities that are feeling it far worse, where the deaths are far more, where the, um, the positive cases are far more, and when you know that so much of it has to do with the fact of who they are. Uh, we're dealing with uh, a case in Livingston, the Foster Farms. Um, the company, as far as I, information that we have, uh, the company didn't pay attention to what county health officials told them they had to do. Um, and I believe as a result, hundreds, there were hundreds of cases of positive cases nine people died from that one plant we had we had a garment uh company here similar there were something like five people who died um and hundreds of positive cases so why you know why is it that latinos would get the worst Mm -hmm. why why is there such a a clear disproportionate impact on Latino families. And that's their workplace situation. Then they go home and there's overcrowding in the apartments. sometimes two families. How do you do social distancing in a situation like that?
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: the things that we had been battling and fighting for before became crystal clear and worse in every way for our communities, poor communities and communities of color. So um, that's the disheartening thing that's the that's the worst part of of the pandemic um i think um you know we're trying to now step back and say let's take this a step at a time of course there was enormous reaction to the closing down how do people survive um and you know we're just gonna have to we're gonna keep on struggling with it but there's no reason no reason why we can't fix the things that make the impact on latino communities so disproportionate we had uh for example we had started um the to make the change that Medi-Cal could apply to undocumented
2: mm-hmm. right
1: And so Ricardo Lara, who was there before I was, had started this process and we won, we're able to get uh, Medi-Cal for undocumented all the way to the age of 26. And I wanted us to go further and include seniors over 65. Well, we couldn't get that. We couldn't get that signed off by the governor. So then the COVID hits and who are the most vulnerable, our seniors, our low-income seniors and our seniors who can't go to the doctor mm-hmm. can't go anywhere it took us months to clarify that if it was COVID related then you wouldn't have to pay so how many people how many people's lives can we have
0: saved right all right so this is a little more I guess personal so do you have any words of encouragement for the next generation of leaders so um, just the thought behind that is there's a lot of, um, like you said, the, the next generation that were the kids of these union workers, they're just, or just kids that are just generally involved in supporting their communities. There's certain interests. What do you have to say to them to encourage them to, uh, you know, engage these opportunities to, you know, maybe, you know, strive for their dreams. Maybe if it's not, you know, being a doctor, maybe they want to help people in different ways. Mm-hmm. So like, what, what do you have to say to them?
1: Well, it it may be a a phrase that's used uh, too often, but just don't forget where your roots are from. You know, really don't forget. So no matter what career you pursue, Mm -hmm. right, whether it's on radio or TV or social media, whether it's in healthcare, uh, whether it's, um, you know, uh, uh, a coach, you know, athletic coach, whatever you decide to do, make sure you do it in such a way that you bring other people along. Mm -hmm. Um, We did an internship for a summer at the LA Fed and um, it was uh, college age, uh, you you know, adult. And one woman, she says she's really struggling because she was uh, majoring in physics and she wanted to continue, you know, along that with a career. And I I, said, and she goes, but I love the movement so much, and it was sort of at the beginnings, around the time of the DACA movement,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, and I said, you don't have to choose between one or the other. So do both, you know. In mm-hmm. do what your what your love and your passion is, but at the same time bring others along and fight for others. At the same time that you're doing that, so don't try to pick being an, a movement activist and leader with the career that you want to do in your in your life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that's, you know, I think that's really important. You, you don't have to choose between one or the other. But there's so many things that we have to tackle right now that we need all of the, the energy. We're talking about climate change. Uh, we were, um, this week, we're in a big uh, battle again, the nonstop battle of the X side. You know, battery recycling over in Vernon—the impact that's had over tens of thousands of our people. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are so many, so many ways in which you can continue to wage the battles on behalf of our communities. Um, so do it, and and the the movements that I know of for social justice or labor, whatever, have always been a combination of. Young people, because of their energy, because, you know, nothing gets in the way, mm-hmm. fearless, uh, don't have a lot of things to worry about yet in life. And it's the the experience of others who have done things over and over and over again. So I would say keep that in mind, you know. Mm-hmm. John Lewis, Congressman Lewis, learned from Reverend James Lawson. James Lawson was the teacher on nonviolent strategy and tactics and the philosophy that's where Congressman Lewis learned and he moved it forward so um, I-, I think there's so much uh, that can be that is being done bringing art
2: mm-hmm. the
1: arts into our movement has always been important but now there's even more ways of doing it than there were before so uh, you know, use your energy and don't, don't, don't be afraid. But at the same time, you know, think about things a little bit yeah. <laughs> before jumping in, just a little bit.
0: <laughs> and uh, the last major question we have is: we have the elections coming up. Do you mind sharing why it's so important to vote? Oh
1: my God, we got to get that guy out of the White House. <laughs> he is just destructive and. Uh, there's so many words to describe he cares nothing about anybody we've got to get him out of the White House period no ifs ands or buts about it and that takes everybody's energy because it has to be overwhelming we mm-hmm. don't want him and, and, and his base to think that they're mm-hmm. second thoughts and that therefore he doesn't have to give, give up the White House because he's made reference to yeah. it right everybody vote now you're going to get a ballot at your home fill it out I spent, um, I spent uh, an hour or so with my two sons, and we talked about each uh, proposition, each ballot measure. Um, there's some that really stand out in my mind, if I, if mm-hmm. I may. Uh, proposition 15, uh, to make sure that uh, corporations um, pay their fair share of property taxes. Right now, they're getting a pass. Um, so we need that money. Yes, on fifteen. Yes, on fifteen. Sixteen is about diversity through affirmative action programs. Uh, uh, the number of people of color in higher education dropped dramatically after um, um, uh, affirmative action was uh, banned here in this in this state. Uh, contracts with um, uh, with the government, you know, to provide services, the the number of uh, minority businesses that get their contracts was, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, decreased significantly. So yes on 16 for diversity and affirmative action. And then we have 22, which is to uh, make sure that if you work, you know, for a gig uh, company like uber lyft that they don't have any exemptions from labor laws so we no exemptions from labor laws If they want to pay more which is what they should be doing after all their mm-hmm. company is worth like 75 billion dollars mm-hmm. they should get more they shouldn't be looking to do less so those are some of the ones that stand out in my mind there's several others which you okay. can go through
0: thank you so much for sharing that um, so before we leave, we're going to ask you just a quick lightning round where if you can just give short answers oh to share your your opinion, what you think. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Here we go. Pizza or Chinese food? Pizza. Your favorite sports team? Dodgers. Go Dodgers. Who is your favorite band or artist? Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin. What annoys you?
1: Um, people who don't work hard.
0: (laughs) If you were an animal, what would you be?
1: Oh, God. I guess a dog.
0: A dog? (laughs) Why a dog? (laughs)
1: Because they could be a person's best friend.
0: And they're also protectors.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us something about you that most people don't know?
1: I played the violin for three years in grammar school
0: huh okay um what's the best advice you ever received
1: um Dolores Huerta went during a fast at USC that I was in and uh, just came in and was very calm and she says don't worry about anything everything's gonna be okay
0: Everything's gonna be okay um How can people who are interested in community activism get involved?
1: Well, I I think it depends on the issue that drives you the most, that you're passionate about, that you feel very strongly about, and find a grassroots organization. and Learn how to organize one by one by one. Um, It may be that rally got you excited about some issue, but learn the true skills of organizing one by one by one. And that's what's gonna build power in our communities.
0: What's your favorite part of being a senator?
1: Getting to know other legislators and the particular needs of their communities that are so different from Los Angeles.
0: I mean, do you get any special seats at like Dodger Stadium or anything? Oh, no. <laughs> Come on, they don't have a special no. senator <laughs> section. Oh no, there's that's too okay. many rules about that. I wouldn't
1: touch okay. that with a 10 foot pole.
0: Um, do you like to dance?
1: I love to dance. I love to dance. What
0: kind of dance? Is there anything in particular? Or just uh, dance I, and love
1: dance? Uh, I love salsa. I love, I'm not really great at, at others, but I love salsa, that's for sure.
0: Do you have any pets?
1: My son, just, I had a couple of pets for 15 years, lost them last year. So we just, uh, my son just got a dog. His name is Astro uh, a few days ago. Okay. Beautiful mix of husky.
0: Beautiful. And um, is there anything else you'd like to share before we uh, end this podcast?
1: Um, just keep family and friends close to you as we go through this COVID-19 you know find ways of keeping your yourself up and and motivated. I know there are very lots of times when I get very very scared and worried and can't sleep. You know, what about my kids? What about my two granddaughters and um just our community and uh, you know, just all sorts of things rushing through my mind. So, you know, keep family and friends close to you and we'll get through this.
0: Yes, we will.
2: Yeah.
1: Peace right. up with
0: him. Thank you, Senator. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Chris. Thank appreciate you. So much for being you. Here.